When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Scott Sachman. And I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the We've Got Spirit. Yes, we do. Who owns spirit? Wish we knew. Sports business podcast, The Sportacast. And we'll tell you. <laughs> just, we so will don't, tell you. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't send all the hate mail to Edmund because we collaborated on that one. He just uh, lost the rock, paper, scissors to have to you know, deliver the line. <laughs> but I've been, I've been humming that, as you know, Edmund, for a couple of weeks now, wanting to use it in some way, shape, or form because I'm fascinated by the story. Like We're used to ownership squabbles, but to see Todd Boley, of course, also you know, co-owner of the Dodgers, uh, to be in an ownership fight um, over an NWSL team, you know, he's bid 25 million for the team, uh, existing owner, part owner, Michelle Kang. She upped her bid to 35 million, some sort of backroom goings on where she tried to accumulate more of the team and now says that she has enough to block any potential sale. Todd Bowley's decided I'm going to sit this out until the NWSL figures it out. I mean, it's a fascinating sports business story, no? Yeah, I think there's a Harvard business case study here for yeah. what Michelle Kang, who's a health tech CEO, the way in which she has positioned herself here. If you go back a couple months, Scott, there was a lot of publicity around this this really league-altering abuse scandal that rocked a lot of NWSL. It included a coach, uh, a Washington Spirit coach. In the aftermath, the league essentially told the three owners of the Spirit a man named Steve Baldwin, a man named Bill Lynch, and the third partner, Michelle Kang, the league told all three of them, our preference is that all three of you go. We need to have new ownership here. The the team needs to start afresh. We'd like all of you to sell. Michelle has now turned that into, one, getting support from the players to publicly back her bid to to, to buy the team. Now, is is that because they love Michelle or is that because they think it's imperative to have female ownership? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's part of both. Michelle bought into this team uh, more than a year ago at this point. I'm sure that they really like her. Steve Baldwin said for a long time that he wanted uh, he wanted to at some point hand it over to a to a female ownership group. I'm sure the players would like female ownership to uh, to to be the ones moving forward, and they obviously like her. Um, but again, the, the 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 support there, Scott, as you kind of hinted at, wasn't enough. And she's done other things. She's essentially come over the top on Todd Bowley. If he was offering 25 million, she's offering 35 million. And that did one thing that got all of the debt investors in the team to write to Steve Baldwin and say, listen, there's a potential lawsuit here if you don't sell to Michelle. We don't necessarily have a say here, but 
if you force us along on a $25 million valuation when there's a $35 million valuation on the table, uh, we think there's maybe some uh, some lawsuit there. So, you so think that they're, they're saying that we hacked it. We need to act as a fiduciary here. You know, the, the responsibility to the debt holders is to actually get as much money as we possibly can. That's exactly right. And if and if it was a three pronged play here by Michelle, if prong one was get the support of the players, a, a, a vocal and influential group. If step two was make an offer that, uh, from a fiduciary standpoint, feels like it is one you can't turn down. Step three was buying out some of those debt owners and converting their debt to equity in a push to actually amass more than 50% of the voting shares in the team. She claims that she is there right now. The NWSL board still needs to approve all that. Um, But in the end, it all might be moot because she may have pulled off enough to be able to sell the team to herself without anybody objecting to it. And it puts the NWSL in, in a really tough position here. A couple months after telling her they wanted her to sell the team, they may have no choice here but to let her sell the team to herself. Uh, and that is a fascinating, fascinating turn of events. And still, the part that opens my eyes the most is just the price tag. And by the way, just the $25 million offer from Todd Bowley alone. And then the, like you said, over-the-top $35 million offer from Michelle, because as it stands, I don't think anybody would say the revenue generated by these clean, by these teams justifies that valuation. And not that we can't say that in many, many sports, you know, people look around and they want to know what the multiples are, but that's a, that's a big number from a sophisticated sports team owner already. And I just wonder how does Todd see it fitting in the portfolio? How does Michelle then try to get it profitable as a standalone entity without any of those synergies of scale. Uh, just, just the number itself is is a bit staggering to me. Yeah, and I'll put that number in, in a little bit more context as well. I think it was 15 years ago when the Toronto team joined MLS. I think their expansion fee was about $10 million, right? So that was the going rate for a new franchise in MLS back in 2006. Look at where MLS is now. I'm not saying that NWSL is going to experience that same kind of growth, but if you think about, you know, $25 million or $35 million being the new kind of set baseline for an NWSL franchise, if that is indeed what happens here, uh, that is essentially where Major League Soccer was back in 2006, 2007. And that's pretty fascinating. One thing you hear from Major League Soccer folks, though, is it's not just about the numbers of what they're getting. It's also the who. Who are, you know, who is getting involved in the newer ownership groups? We see David Blitzer now. Uh, Ryan Smith out in in Salt Lake. It's always about the who and what they can bring. What expertise do they bring and how does that help the league grow? If I'm the NWSL and I'm other owners, I would be, you know, at least my interest would be piqued in getting Todd Bowley in my group. Is he interested beyond Washington? I don't know. But, you know, you always have to look at the who. Do they view as Todd is somebody who is more apt to help the league uh, franchise values grow or Michelle? Or maybe the $35 million bill accelerates that process just by setting that number right now. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes this so interesting. When when Todd Bowley enters exclusive talks to buy a franchise, it it, it feels like it is a no-brainer at that and point. Deal. Because, yeah, because yeah. of who he is. He's a part owner of the Dodgers, part owner of the Lakers. He's an investor in DraftKings. He has a pretty massive sports and entertainment portfolio. He's also an investor in the Los Angeles Sparks, the WNBA team. From what I've heard, uh, they're really happy 
with with the way in which he's kind of helped develop and help push and help fund a lot of the things at the Sparks. So he has a track record in women's sports as well. Everything about this feels like Todd Bowley is exactly the person you want to buy in at a record valuation. And again, the truth here may be that uh, because of what Michelle Kang has been able to accomplish behind the scenes and publicly in the past few months, she may be able to to, to keep that from happening. Uh, and by the way, we're going to switch to the NFL here in a second, but you want some NFL news that'll make you smile? I just stumbled yes, across this like always. 10, 10 seconds before we were going to start. I stumbled across this. The, uh, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars have more playoff wins than the Dallas Cowboys since 1996. Would you have believed that if I told you that? I would not have believed that. I have been to, I believe, at least two of those playoff wins, <laughs> those Jaguars Tony, playoff the wins. The Tony Baselli and Mark Brunel Jaguars? And unfortunately not. No, this uh. was the Blake Bortles uh, <laughs> and, and, and Miles Jack Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, that's a pretty wild statistic uh, because by both, both measures, at least in the past decade or so, the Jaguars have been one of the, the least successful teams in the league. Um, but it just goes to show you, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and you can say that same statistic for... The, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, right, who I would argue are essentially the Cowboys of the of the NHL. There are a lot of really valuable, really popular franchises that have had in the Knicks, uh, another one that jumps out that have had some really, really down years uh, in the past decade. Yeah, uh, we don't have the number yet at time of recording, but surely the Cowboys Niners game is going to do a monster number as Huge. is the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, they're only they can only hope for more snow and bad weather and everybody stays inside and, and watches on TV. But even if you're set up, this is the, like what I love, the beauty of the NFL here. Even if you wind up getting, let's say, small market Green Bay versus small market Buffalo in the Super Bowl, it does not matter. But I mean, you would like to have the Cowboys going as a network executive, but these numbers are going to be monster. Um, you, you're just set up where, where the, the number of viewers and I mean, we're, we're debating out, you know, out of home viewing and all that. Still, the NFL is absolutely the king of the mountain. Yeah, I know you and I both kind of hate to dive into the the minutia of ratings yes. because so many little things that the Chiefs so, can blow, sorry blow, Mike sorry Mike Mulvihill. <laughs> the Chiefs can blow out the 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 Steelers uh, on a Sunday night game, and all of a sudden, out of no fault of the NFL, suddenly that does a much worse number than it would have if the game was close. Right, the, the, those numbers in the minutia really don't say that much about where the league is. The numbers that do matter, I think, Scott, the the eleven percent jump. Uh, year over year in the national and regional windows for the NFL this whole season. That's an important number, especially in the context of of, of the, the departure of about 10% of people leaving TV overall. The, the other thing here, which you kind of hinted at, which I think is really interesting, and we've seen this the last couple of years, the NFL is shaping up here to have kind of the big name older stars on one half of the bracket here, and I'm talking about Tom Brady, and I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers, and then on the other half of the bro- the other half of the bracket, you're kind of young future quarterback superstars. Certainly, Patrick Mahomes. I think uh, I think Josh Allen and Joe Burrow can maybe slide into that category as well. I think the NFL and its TV partners love the idea of having both the established draw, the quarterbacks who have been doing this for for a decade or two decades plus, and then having the the next generation of stars waiting in the wings, but also ready to challenge them right now. And in the league's never ending quest to generate even more revenue will not surprise you that they they did tip a toe a dip a toe into the nft market during the regular season and that will continue to the super bowl where ticket holders will be offered a customized nft you get your seat number um for now it's just going to be a collectible but 
with the success of on location and you know wh- what's the word we hear with on location all the time experiential you, know, you get invited to the maybe the party beforehand in the pavilion um, where do you see this going uh, when you talk about the NFL and the ability to offer not only a, the ticket and something at the game but then to tie specialized experiences to it you, you just get a feeling again that the NFL will generate more money than anybody else. Yeah, we're just getting started is my is my early sense. I think one of the interesting things about this ticket stuff, I, I'm sure there's other leagues that are doing this, but the NFL is kind of on the forefront here in some ways, which is not really the MO you often see. The NFL, which we've said on the show a number of times, because of how big it is, it can afford to wait and watch other leagues, try this, try that, see what works and then doesn't, and then jump in and decide to do the thing that works. We saw that with sports betting as a, as a really clear example. Uh, another one is still in the NFT space. The NFL has a deal with Dapper Labs. They're going to be unveiling something similar to what Dapper did with the NBA for NBA yeah, Top Shot. Yeah, video collectibles. Yep. There does not seem to be, and I think there probably shouldn't be, there doesn't seem to be any urgency on behalf of the NFL or Dapper Labs to make sure that that product gets out right now. The Super Bowl is obviously a great time to launch that stuff. I'm not sure if it's going to happen before the Super Bowl. I think the truth here, again, is that the NFL knows NFTs, experiential, all this stuff is going to be a big part of the future. They don't need to rush and try a bunch of things now. They can wait, see what works and see what doesn't, and then really jump in there. But the top line, you're absolutely right, Scott. I would imagine that just like in media, just like in ticket, like all these other things, when the NFL decides to do it, it is going to be a bigger commercial deal than almost any other league on the planet. Yeah, well, we've already seen it. Like over the weekend, they they began by selling uh, 49ers commemorative coins. They were somewhere like 10 bucks to 950 bucks, right? And not only at the league level, what you think this will do, though, is help teams further engage. That's why the teams are so supportive of this. Let's dip our toe in. Let's see what works. And you think you always get the sense that the teams know their fans better than the leagues. And while the NBA has things like Teambo, the team in business operations where they do work with, I don't, I'm not sure if fans really understand this, that the leagues really do work alongside teams in terms of best practices, what they can do together. I mean, years ago, one of the commissioners had talked to us about the merits. And I love this example because who would think of it? And I, and I don't even know where it went. You know what? We should check in on this. Uh, the merits of group ordering things like toilet paper. Like if you can bring down, but I mean, people need to understand that that's the level of attention to detail that is being paid. I mean, you've got all these stadiums, you've got arenas, you've got owners who own multiple teams. What if they got together and maybe did it with other leagues as well? What if you could get every single stadium or or, or arena to come together? And I think... Um, Uh, Oakview Group has this in their arena collective. I'm not sure how many, but there's 20-something arenas in their collective. What if you get together and say, well, we all have plenty of bathrooms and we all need toilet paper in them. Let's get together in group order. And you all know the more you buy, the less you pay, right? What if you could drive down your unit costs? That's the level of detail to which these leagues and teams operate together. But I still think that even with that overarching oversight, of league looking at teams and how do we help? What can we do? I still think across the board, the notion is still held that the teams know their fans better than the league. So that's what I think this is. Again, step one, if you're dealing with NFTs, let the 49ers deal with their fans and see what works and what does not. Let them pivot and adjust on the fly. 
have you purchased a two-part question have you no. purchased an nft has no. has your son the no. your focus group of one has he purchased an nft as you know that the little man plays travel youth hockey there is no leftover <laughs> revenue in the sashnik household for things like nfts um but it was it's very funny i was i, I was thinking about it this morning i was talking with one of the executives over at so rare earlier this morning and it it I, it did dawn on me i'm like you know what maybe i should dab a little bit i'll call jacob feldman uh, I'll walk through setting up the account. <laughs> it's just so much easier when you got somebody like Jacob showing you how. And uh, you know, my wife and I will sit down and we'll figure out what what NFT do we want to buy for like ten bucks. We'll start at the low end. I'm not looking for great appreciation, but just to jump in and figure out what would make sense and just see how the whole thing works. There you go. I think that's right. And I, and I would be fascinated. We should ask at some point. We'll have a team executive on that we can talk about this. But I'm I'm fascinated by what the demographic is that teams are seeing that are buying the NFTs, and if they think of that demographic specifically as kind of the most engaged future fans. I think there's a lot of maybe older demographic fans that are probably not even considering thinking about NFTs. But if it skews younger, I would think that teams are looking at this group as, oh, these are going to be the primary fans in 15 years, and they're going to be the, the, the most important fans to us over the next two or three decades. Well, let me tell you something about my kid, and I think, I think you know this. One, my credit card is hooked up to his Xbox. And by the way, <laughs> and, and somehow separately, so is my wife's. So when he comes to me and says, can I have 10 bucks for something stupid? And I say, no, what does he do? Goes to the he, wife's he, card. He goes to mom. Savvy. So now, we, Right. So we need to now, like, we got to get together. Go, did he ask you yet? Because I said, no, that no, we need to get together on that. Um, but I also got him, because I want him to learn the value of money. Of course, one of the lessons we, we have to teach. I got him one of those beginner credit cards. So when he does, like, you know, we're at a tournament or something and he's going to lunch with maybe one of the other parents is driving and they take him. So I don't have to give them cash because that'll certainly flop out of the wallet. So you give them the card. It's got the pin. It have to, you have to use the pin every time. So I love even, this. If even if it's lost or stolen, nobody can use it. And I never put more like, you know, each time I, give, I can reload it from my phone. So if he's going to lunch with the friends here, I'll put 20, 25 bucks on it. But here's the problem with, with my little man. If I give him 20, he'll spend 20. If I give him 30, he'll spend 30. So the lesson that I've been trying to impart has not really been learned because he's just spending whatever I give him. I need him to understand the value of what I'm putting on that card. Anyway, explain to me, Mr. Novi Williams, what is going on with Oregon and Division Street? Daniel Libet breaking a story over the weekend that the NCAA is just kind of taking a peek at some more NIL. Yeah, so the the, the NCAA uh, it, it continues to look at across the country at a number of different schools, various uh, deals that the schools themselves are helping facilitate for their athletes. Um, and I think the overarching story here, Scott, or the big takeaway would be that the NCAA had an opportunity early last year to put in place rules around these new marketing rights for athletes. They chose not to do it. And now the entire industry has essentially run wild. Uh, and the but lines did you are know getting... that was going to happen? Like, I, I really, I, I mean, I really have to throw my hands up here because I think, yes, you yeah. should have. And, and, and should I don't have. even, yeah. And I don't even understand how do you really plan on going about policing this. You're just going to set yourself up for more problems. Frankly, if a group of donors wants to get together and pay a kid to attend the university, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, on the pretense of NIL where, yeah, we'll use your name, you know, we'll set up an LLC, we'll give you the money over time, but you're going to have to show up once a year at our banquet or something like that. Whatever. Like if, if your talent alone is enough to get you that payment, so be it. I, I, this, this whole notion of the of a, what is real nil like is it because they're an athlete name image and like they're going to sell lululemon or they're going to go 
it just doesn't make any sense to me. If if you have something that the school wants and they have a, a mechanism and a vehicle to deliver you the money, so be it. And the idea of Nick Saban saying, well, this is really going to create inequity. <laughs> like, 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 like there isn't a huge inequity right now. Like Alabama doesn't get the best recruits every darn year for, for many reasons. One being their ability to play for Alabama and generate NIL money whether it's the traditional of what you're thinking about or to buy the top recruit. And frankly, I think this will even the playing field. If one school out there can get like you know, three, four, five of the, of the highest rated high school folks by having their alumni kick in, if you have a rich donor wants to kick in some money and get them to go there, they'll be a better team. So I, I just don't see how you want to police this thing. It's funny. You had me entirely until the end there because I don't think this levels the playing field. I think it, it further... It further widens inequities that are already uh, massive, massive chasms. Uh, and and yes, from the NCAA perspective, this is an organization, remember, that that wants to and has tried for the past hundred years to govern Alabama State the same way that it governs Alabama. And I think anybody with a brain in their head would say that that's a, a silly, a silly goal to have. It's not fair. It's not fair to athletes. It's probably not fair to staffers. It's not fair to the schools. Um, so So the way the NCAA looks at this is... Yeah, if there are big schools with deep pockets and donors that have deep pockets that are willing to pay all the good players just to come to their school under the guise of NIL, then you really, really, even more so than right now, separate the Alabamas from the Alabama ANTs. Again, I think you and I would agree that that is already a gap that is is forever separate. They should not be even competing under the same rules in a lot of ways. Um, And and I think that, Scott, I think the, the end result here is that the NCA eventually comes to the conclusion that you're saying that waiting in we here, can't, we trying, can't do this, trying yeah. to find some kind of line by which you're letting schools do this, but not letting schools do that, I think is a fool's errand. And my guess is in the long term, it's just to throw your hands up. And I think that's again, I think that's a maybe a decent result for a lot of different parts of the ecosystem, most importantly, the athletes themselves. All right. You won't be able to appreciate this, but the Australian Open, Mr. Novi Williams has a soft spot in my heart, always will. Because after Jackson was born and he, he wasn't sleeping through the night yet and sort of it wasn't in a Netflix time yet. You couldn't just watch anything that was crappy TV on like maybe I'll catch a good Magnum P.I. rerun. You know, that makes me happy. But uh, when, you know, I, whatever, he was like six months old or whatever, he's still not sleeping. So he's up. I had to feed him at ridiculous times. And the Aussie Open, that, like, that was the easy part for me. I can stay up overnight because of the time difference and watch live matches. That was great. So uh, a bit of a kerfuffle the last couple of weeks with Novak Djokovic. So he's not going to be there. The world's best tennis player will not uh, be in Melbourne. Uh, does this affect your thoughts on the viewing of the entire tournament, just the attention brought to the tournament? Once again, politics brought into sport. Any effect on the world's number one men's tennis player not participating in Melbourne? I, I, so I'm kind of skeptical, at least right now, that this has any major effect. I think the the one caveat I would say is that this now puts the spotlight on a lot of the other major championships. It, they A lot of those places like France and like England for the French Open and Wimbledon have their own kind of vaccine requirements for entry, etc. Uh, if they are going to enforce those rules and keep Novak out of other tournaments, I think that's a massive deal. And, and if this Australian visa revoking does indeed mean that Novak in future years maybe can't play in Australia. That's a big deal deal also. He's chasing uh, the all-time majors uh, championship winning list. He's fairly close. Uh, This is the prime tail end of prime of his career. These next two or three years of majors are absolutely critical to the kind of long-term legacy of Novak Djokovic. Not playing in the 2022 Australian Open 
not great, but fine. But not playing in a number of majors in the next couple of years because of this uh, is actually fairly damaging. And well, I would ro- imagine yeah. sponsors would not like that either. Well, Roland Garros on the clock. And I think what helps you is, all right, now we have time to get this straight. I, I would think now you have enough time to say, whatever our policy is, we are going to communicate it well ahead of time to these players so that there will not be any sorts of miscommunications, missteps, accidents, mistakes, whatever it may be. You know, you better have your travel documents right. We need to communicate what what the policy is correctly to the player. You know, we can't have the miscommunication. So everybody's on notice. You better get it right. Uh, but from the sports business perspective, one thing that your average tennis fan might not know right now is that there's an interesting thing going on at the, at the Tennis Australia, investing in a company called Swing Vision, right? What, former engineer from Tesla among the folks who... Uh, who is part of that company. And it's sort of AI produces highlights, best masters, best shots, so people can watch. And it's from the venture arm of Tennis Australia. This just continues what we've seen in U.S. sports. Anyway, and what, not just U.S., but you Barcelona, the Minnesota Twins, Elysian Park with the Dodgers, that teams aren't just teams anymore. Like they have these venture arms where oftentimes they are granted equity in companies or just investing companies that they can utilize in the core sports business, but they know darn well because of the front porch nature of the sporting world that they can scale it far beyond. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The NFL feels like another good example here, right? 32 32 32 equity, equity, uh, which just like this, invested in a lot of companies that they helped kind of put on the map to a degree. And and having that equity is a great way to to recoup a, a lot of that value that you help these companies achieve. I think it's smart by by Tennis Australia. And and to your point, yeah, we're going to see every team, every league try to do some version of this moving forward because they understand how big their platform is. And that's beneficial, and obviously not just to them in their own kind of revenue pursuits, but it's also extremely beneficial for companies. And now that you have companies out there like Fanatics that have made it clear that partnering with giving equity to leagues and or teams uh, is something that is on the table for them to kind of grow their business, to help build a moat or between them and their competitors. I think you're going to see more and more of this across sports. Yeah, and we're seeing it with like one team partners, right? They understand that for a young company, start a startup, to pay what it would cost to get the rights to all of the baseball players or all of the football players, it, it's just prohibitive. So now they say, okay, well, give us some equity in your company and we'll grant you those rights. So yeah, just just a mushrooming, a burgeoning mushrooming industry. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. The show can be found at Sportacast, which our social media editor, Core Veltman, loves that I remind you. It is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.